Welcome to the Profitable Happiness Podcast, where we feature stories from highly successful CEOs, business leaders, and experts who exemplify the use of inspirational leadership, employee happiness, and harmonious teams to build business profitability. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Profitable Happiness Podcast, and it's my pleasure to introduce you today to Khan Apostolopoulos. And wow, Khan, you are the founder and CEO of Fresh Biz Solutions. You're also a great friend of another great friend of mine, Dr. Ilya Gorgoris, with whom you've just written a book called The Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis. First of all, what a, a, a timely uh, a book. I want to hear all about it. But, you know, Khan, if we could start with you and how you became the author and the leader uh, you are today, I'd love to hear about it. Go ahead and tell us how you arrived at who you are today. Well, thank you. That's a wonderful question. First of all, thank you for having me on board here. Uh, Dr. Ilya has shared with me the wonderful experience that you guys have had, how friendly you are together, and I couldn't wait to join you and your audience today. So thank you for having me on board. Oh, you're welcome. Um, now, back to your question. Yes, we are about a week out from launching our book, and it is hot, hot, hot off the press right now for everybody. Um, timely? Absolutely. And that's part of the reason why we brought it out. This is a labor of love, of passion. Um, and it is the culmination of only 45 days of cramming to get this out because it was so timely. Yeah. Um, now, even though we put it out in a very short period of time, it is the culmination of many, many, many years of experience that Dr. Ilya and myself have shared in situations where we thought were very, very relevant. Um, when we found ourselves in this, in this predicament right now, in the circumstances that we're all living in right now, uh, we looked around and people, we're trying to find a way to deal with things, to cope with things. How do we deal with that? This is a massive, massive change that people were thrust into. Yeah. And as we looked around, we saw people, neighbors helping neighbors, people to try to offer any help they could to those that were less fortunate. Different people are helping in different ways. They're each drawing from their skills, their talents, from what they have to share with others. Dr. Ilya came to me about 45 days ago and said, I have an idea for a book. He and I have been writing together on a number of publications. Uh, for example, Thrive Global, Ariana Huffington's post there. Mm -hmm. um, so we had uh, already experienced working together and partnering together. We bounce ideas off each other. And from that perspective, uh, he said, are you in? Yeah. I said, without hesitation, I'm in. And we put ourselves together and we realized that we have things that we can do to help others. We have experience. We have knowledge. He has a wealth of, of knowledge from counseling, from his psychology background, working with people one-on-one, -on -one, dealing with those kind of things. He's dealt with crisis before. He's certified through the Red Cross and being able to deal with psychologically dealing with crises. He was out there most recently with the Haiti earthquake. He was at Columbine being able to offer help with a lot of those things. So he has a lot of experience on that. He came to me, and as I looked at this, I realized that I've experienced many of those things firsthand. I was in New Orleans after Katrina, trying to help with some of the rebuilding efforts there. I volunteered to go down there with a group of people from the company that I was with at the time. 
and we were able to to put some smiles on people's faces mm. rebuilding a playground so kids in a daycare center have somewhere to go to kind of start rebuilding their lives so we've seen a lot of that devastation and the after effects of that mm -hmm. this one is different this one is different because it's not a one day two day three day thing and now we're in the recovery we yeah. are still feeling the effects of this yeah. different people are helping in different ways uh, yeah. people that have culinary skills are cooking for the less fortunate People that are stocking shelves are out there trying to make sure we have supplies. Everybody's doing their part. So Dr. Ely and I, I are drawing from our years of dealing with counseling, with coaching, from my background in change management and being able to help people deal and navigate through change. And we put our heads together and we came up with the ideas that we currently have in the book. Yeah. Now, this is not intended to be an academic book, a scientific book. It's not even intended to be how do you pack things so you can run for the mountains and save yourselves. <laughs> yeah. But this is about in our situation right now, for the majority of people in the societies that we live in, here is some practical advice. Here are some basic seven keys that if you follow them, it will help you navigate this crisis effectively. Yeah. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm really curious about um, really how, you, how life has prepared you to be the author of this book. Because, you know, for one thing, I think you said something just a few minutes ago. You said, this is different. I, I don't think in, in the lifetime of most people today, there has been another time in which the entire world, <laughs> not just one country or one, one right. company or one group over here or there, the entire world has been brought together in a common struggle, right? Um, so, you know, this is huge, but I'm really fascinated by the fact that you've experienced things in your life, right, that have brought you to this understanding of how to coach people and how to deal with, you know, adversity in the face of common struggle. Tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the, the stories that brought you to, to this point through your coaching work and, and, and your early life even. Well, it's, it's interesting because change is something that I've experienced firsthand uh, from a very, very, very young age. Very much like you, I'm a generation or two removed from severe poverty. My grandparents never owned a vehicle. They, wow. they tried to scrape a living up in the mountains in Greece where, I was, where my family is originally from. My father, barely with a third grade education, at some point was working in the fields at a young age and then decided to immigrate to Australia to try to carve out a better life for himself and start a family. That's where I was born, where my sisters were born there as well. So I spent my early, early years there in a culture, growing up bilingual, being influenced by a number of different things in that environment. Mm -hmm. At some point, they decided to come back to Greece, where I spent the middle part of my years. You know, growing up there, that's where I relate a lot. I, a lot of that shaped me in who I am and the philosophy that I have in life. Mm -hmm. But even there, we didn't escape a lot of the crises that were there, earthquakes, different economic problems that existed there. I was destined in their mind to follow their footsteps and go off to a young age. And I was sent off to go work as an apprentice with my uncle in a construction environment mm. at a very young age. But I had choices. I made my own choices at some point, And I decided that I wanted a different life. So I grew up and I was the first one in my family to actually make it through high school and make it through college. And since then, my sisters have followed in my footsteps from that piece. But then even then, I decided to carve out my own life from there. And I expanded and I met my wife. And we ended up making the U.S. our home now in Colorado, where we are right now. Mm 
Mm-hmm. But over the 25 years that I've been living in the States, my career has been full of amazing opportunities. Most people don't realize the opportunities that exist in this beautiful country. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Unless you've lived elsewhere. And I consider myself a citizen of the world in many ways. Yeah. And in this environment, as hard as we think it is at times, and it is, it is still a situation where this is a beautiful land with so many opportunities. And I've yeah. taken my share of those opportunities and I've capitalized on those and I've grown a career in a corporate environment mostly early on where I've been exposed to a lot of situations where I've been working with different industries in leadership development, training and development, human resources, organizational development, all of those people development areas, Mm -hmm. but not just that, but also looking at how can we make the systems that we work within better. A lot of the things that I even work now today that I emphasize with my clients is you put good people in a bad system, the system will always win. Yeah. So you have to look at performance and you have to look at improvement and change in a very holistic and systematic way. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back, and you know the saying is you can only connect the dots looking back. Yep. I can see those milestones and those different events, world events even, that have happened along the way that have changed my career. 2001 with 9-11, I was working in the travel sector at the time for a company that was working with travel distribution. Well, 2001 really took a dent out of that. It made it a yeah. big, big difference in that sector. Yeah. People don't, a lot of young people now don't remember what it's like being able to go to an airport and not have to be patted down or scanned to get to the gate. Yep. You go through those kind of crises. In 2005 with Katrina, like I mentioned, that really changed my mind, my view about a lot of things and what's important in my life. I found myself changing careers and going into the restaurant organizations there, dealing with developing leaders in that kind of environment for a company that had 10,000 employees spread over the U.S. Mm-hmm. And dealing with those kind of things and being able to, to, to help them grow their, their leadership development, their succession planning efforts, all of that to create and develop leaders and help roll out programs. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in 2008, yet another crisis, the financial one at this time, yep. devastated the economy. Well, we limped through that. And in 2011, 2012, I found myself out of a job, being let go because the company got bought up by somebody else and they had different ideas about what they wanted. At that time, I started looking around for my next career move like most of us would. Mm -hmm. And although it's nice to hear from people, you know, you have a lot of wonderful skills, a lot of wonderful experience, but I don't think we can afford you. I don't Mm -hmm. think you're exactly what we're looking for. And once, twice, maybe your ego gets stroked. You feel, okay, well, I have a lot of background, a lot of good things. But Mm -hmm. at some point, you realize that, you know what? I have to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. So I did what I had to do trying to put pieces together. That summer, I lost my mom, Mm. which was uh, a very dark time, a very difficult time for me. Um, And on my way back from her funeral, and she was back in Greece. So I traveled back. Um, I came back, and I was... Very, very changed from that experience. Not a, no job, no prospects, just losing a loved parent, coming back, having to face my family and not knowing what I was going to tell them. On the spur of a moment, I picked up the phone and called somebody that I had interviewed with. And I asked them, I said, you know, you said that you'd love to work with me, but you wouldn't hire me because you didn't think I would be around long enough. Can I help you with something? Is there something I can offer for my expertise that will help you because you told me that you're busy? 
So that gentleman said, yes, let's have lunch. And from a lunch meeting, he asked me, can you do this? I said, yes. So I delivered my first project for him. He liked it. And he said, can you do this? Mm -hmm. I said, yes. I delivered that. He liked it. So he said, I have two or three different things that I'd like for you to help me with. All of them involved learning and change. Mm -hmm. So I, that became my first contract, my first customer. That was the message your, is that, that was sometimes your, all it takes is one person, one yeah. person to say yes. That was your, your accidental entrepreneur. <laughs> that, was the, right? that was the beginning of the accidental entrepreneur. Somebody yeah. who didn't look to become an entrepreneur. I wasn't looking to start my business. Mm -hmm. But I realized that I had something to offer that people were willing to pay me for that would sustain me and my family. So my first goal then was, can I replace the salary that I lost and maybe create a bridge for my next job? Yeah. One thing led to another, Dr. Pillay. And all of a sudden, a few years into it, I'm realizing I have greater control over my time. I can choose to be here, help the clients that I'm working with in a meaningful way, then step back, let them do what they're doing, mm -hmm. and then move on to help another client. But in the meantime, I'm here spending time with my family, with my daughter. I'm able to take my daughter to school in the morning, to be there for her events, to be here with my wife when she needs somebody to talk to, and still be able to help people and create a living for myself and my family. Yeah. You know, um, you know what's interesting, Khan, um, uh, is that when we first met, you, uh, you shared with me something that made me realize just how great of a soccer player you are and a soccer coach. <laughs> and I was laughing because I told you, uh, Khan, I cannot play soccer. I, my, my name might be Dr. Pelé, but I can't play soccer to save my life. And here you are, you are the expert. I mean, literally on the game of soccer, on how to coach it, how to teach it, how to play it. Um, and you actually did a lot of that um, for a totally different audience that prepared you really for the coach that you are today. Tell us a little bit about your, your coaching background and how soccer uh, led you into that. Well, thank you. Yeah, and, and that was one of the things that stuck out with me with you. When, when you said Dr. Pelé, when you introduced yourself, <laughs> I'm like one of my heroes. I love you even more right off the bat. Except, sorry, I can't play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the music guy, not soccer. <laughs> there you go. There you, go. You, you sing a different tune. Yeah, exactly. You sing a different tune. Very good. No, when my daughter was young, she decided like many, many, many young girls and many young children to, that she wanted to play soccer with her friends. So I tagged along as being the parent that, that I am and wanted to watch. Um, growing up in Greece, uh, I loved the game. I grew up watching the game, playing the game, um, sometimes in organized fashions, just sometimes just on the blacktop at school. Yeah. And so in many ways, I had a very, very strong love for the game. And I love being around my daughter and the kids. And oh, by the way, my passion is teaching. Mm. So I was able, given the opportunity, I asked, can I help? Can I help coach? So I started as an assistant on my daughter's team, and I realized quickly that three passions of mine I could bring together in one situation. Love for the game of soccer, love to work with kids, and love to teach. What better opportunity than to become a soccer coach and give back to my community through these young kids? You know, you know they say life is a Venn diagram. I can see those three bubbles right now just coming together, and right there you are in the middle. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah. So now I'm an ex accidental entrepreneur with the ability to control some of my time and a great place to put that. Yeah, yeah. And it's so rewarding being able to work with kids. But what I realized is that 
even though I would, my intent was to teach these kids, and I have been able to teach them a lot of life skills, life messages, teamwork, collaboration, understanding your role on a team, how to respect each other, how to be able to, 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 to accept feedback, to be able to communicate effectively, all of those different things. The game, the kids have given me so much more back. These are things that I take now with my corporate clients, all of the skills that I've honed in how to become a better coach. And I've pursued my badges and everything else. And I've done all of the things that I'm supposed to do to reach at a high level because I am a lifelong learner at the end of the day. That's part of the reason why I teach because I love to learn. And from that perspective, I take messages from the kids into the boardroom when I work with executives. A lot of times, breaking down the simple messages. I have C-suite executives, presidents, vice presidents, senior people. We talk about communication a lot of times. And I explain to them in the most basic way. The way that I teach kids how to pass the ball, I ask them, what makes a good pass? The kids very quickly understand it. And they say, well, coach, if I can get the ball to my teammate and they can do something with it, that's a good pass. Yeah. It's the same thing with the messages. When I tell corporate executives, just because you sent a memo out or an email does not make it good communication. You didn't pass the ball. Yeah. The intended receiver did not receive the ball. They couldn't do anything with it. That's not a good pass. So being able to switch the field back and forth from the boardroom to the soccer field with the kids has been extremely rewarding, but a learning experience for me and part of what makes my offering to my clients so unique. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. I, I, I always say if you want to learn anything, look to something else that has perfected that thing. Uh, soccer uh, has perfected teamwork. Uh, music has done the same thing. Um, and so when you can draw those analogies, your experience or the experience people have with you as a coach is so much deeper. But on that note, you know, coming back to today's crisis and the things that we're all experiencing, you know, I'm, I'm in my home office, you're in yours. Yep. I can't go outside. Um, coming back to today and your book, The Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, Tell us a little bit about the book, specifically whom the book serves, um, how the book uh, serves people, what, for example, are the seven keys. Give us a little bit uh, of uh, intro into the book. Sure. Um, as the title implies, it's a practical guide. It's not intended to be overly sophisticated or overly scientific from that piece. It is very, very simple steps that people can take. We identified with Dr. Elia when we went through um, our thought process of how we were going to communicate our message, how we were going to help people, we realized that there are seven core attributes, seven focus areas that any individual, because the, the book is intended for everybody. It's not intended for one or the other. It's intended for everybody. Pick it up and you can read it and you can get some good nuggets out of it. Mm -hmm. So we looked at those seven different areas and those are starting off with self-care. You okay. can't help other people if you don't put on your own mask first, mm. if you don't go through that process where you are in a strong place, if you don't have a good footing under you, how are you going to reach out and pick somebody else up? Mm. These are the things that we have to do. And we look at it and we say, you know what, right now we were already dealing with a big mental crisis before this process started. People were struggling with, with meaning in their life, with purpose, with how things were going. Mental illness rising. People's addictions rising, problems rising. On the surface, when things may have looked good, but below that, we had problems. 
our ability to handle all those problems is like a sponge. Yeah. That sponge can absorb only so much. At some point when it gets saturated, it cannot contain it anymore. So we invite people to take a moment, take care of themselves, take stock of where they are. We have what we call a health assessment questionnaire where we ask people simple questions to say, physically, how are you doing in these areas? Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of those areas about how you're doing to really diagnose and self-evaluate how are you doing. And then we offer answers to those questions, the areas that you're struggling with. In that chapter and throughout the book, we offer answers. But then from self-care, we transition into awareness. You know what, before you, before you go into awareness, I just want to put a quick footnote. I really, 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 really uh, um, resonate with you using self-care as the first thing. Um, in, in fact, if you think about getting on an airplane and then they tell you, you got to put the mask on, right? Before yeah. you can help your friend Correct. or child. I mean, that's just like, love that. So thank you for helping us recognize the self-compassion, self-care. Those, these are not just funny educational uh, concepts. This is no, life we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, this is life and death. And yeah. we have a special section, a special tribute, if you will, that we would hopefully to expand down the road about self-care for healthcare. Ooh. These frontline people are putting their lives on the line right now. Yeah, yeah. Healthcare professionals are out there fighting a battle. They are the warriors of today in many yeah. ways. Yeah. And no, they are out there fighting every day. At some point, they're going to need our help. They're going to need us to nurture them. They're going to need us to support them. So self-care for healthcare is even a piece that we cover in that, in that area. Okay, now go back to your uh, list. I, I just wanted to really highlight. No, no, absolutely. There. That was great. But then again, the next one is also self-reflecting from that piece. It's about mm -hmm. awareness. Mm -hmm. It's about taking a moment in this hectic situation to really look at yourself and listen. Listen to what's happening inside you. Many times, we, 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 when we're in a crisis, we get into a fight or flight mode. We want to we wanna attack. We want to run. That's our nature right now. That's our basic instinct to do that. There is a point where the difference, what separates us a lot of times from animals is that we have the ability from stimulus to response to stretch that time out and to take a moment to listen to what's happening inside us, to reflect and say, you know what, is this real danger or is this just my fear? Because there is a difference between fear and danger, Dr. Billy. Yeah. Danger is real. If somebody has a temperature, if somebody's coughing and sneezing near me, there's a real danger. I might catch something from that. Yeah. It could be COVID-19. It could be the flu. It could be anything. That's real danger. Fear is an emotional response. Fear sometimes we spend many, many times in our life worrying, fearing about something that will never happen. Fear can be paralyzing. A little bit of fear, okay, caution, yes. Too much fear, you allow that to dominate your situation and it will paralyze you. So having that awareness to be able to distinguish those things and separate those two and listen to your voice is key. And then one of the things that you and I know firsthand, our ability to adapt to the change, flexibility. Flexibility mm -hmm. is the third key. We say a lot of times only the strong will survive. In this world, that's a misnomer. Yeah. Because it's not the strong that will survive only. It's the flexible mm. that will survive. I love that. And here's an example. <clears throat> if we bring in the parable of the oak tree and the palm tree in the book, in this chapter, mm -hmm. we talk about it when you ask most people, would you rather be an oak tree or a palm tree? How do you relate? Most people say, I want to be an oak tree. 
strong, sturdy, immobile, doesn't get phased by anything. Mm -hmm. Well, you look at a storm, a severe storm, mm. that very immobility that an oak tree has is the devastation that it also faces. Wow. When I the winds that. get so strong, it can tear limbs off, it can uproot that oak tree mm. because it's not willing to bend and flex and change. Well, you know, I, I wonder if, you, if you're aware of the African parable that uh, uses that. I, it, one of my favorite parables, it's, it goes like this. The wind cannot break a tree that can bend. Exactly. So I, from Africa, you know, they, you, you guys were channeling that. <laughs> but, that's, but that's the cross-cultural effect on the book that we have. Both yeah. Dr. Ilya and I have been exposed to a lot of different cultures from that piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So our perspective is much more global at a time of a global crisis. Yeah. And we hope that the message resonates with more people, not just in the U.S., but beyond. So that flexibility, being like that palm tree, being able to adapt and looking around us and say, okay, I can't work from my office. You and I, you pointed it out, are now working from home. We've yeah. created an environment where we can get the same result without having to be there. Yeah. What are those things that we need to adapt? I can't go to the gym. Okay, can I walk around my block, my house? My daughter has a beautiful example because she's stuck here as just like the rest of us, mm -hmm. trying to do remote learning. She has her little watch that tells her that she needs to move periodically. Mm -hmm. When that hit, hits, she gets up, smacks her hands and says, Dad, it's walk o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> walking around the house. You know, you know what, my, what my daughter did to be flexible? She's like, Dad, well, now that I'm going to be home, you need to buy me that computer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we had to go get her a Mac. A bad, there you a go. <laughs> there you know. But that's also part of finding the wonderful things. Yeah. But that also leads us into the next key, which is preparation. Mm -hmm. The move that you just made, in all seriousness, you're preparing for what you know is going to come. You're taking those steps. You moved a lot of your equipment that you needed into your home office. You started stocking your shelves differently. You knew things were coming. This was not the total surprise that many people think it is. We saw the warning signs. We lived through SARS, MERS, Ebola. We saw these things coming. So in that sense, we have the ability to prepare. But in order to prepare, we have to listen. We have to watch. We have to learn from the past. My life is full of those examples where each crisis has taught me something. You have been the same way. Mm -hmm. As long as you're willing to listen and learn, that helps you prepare for the next time. That helps you prepare for the next one. I'm prepared for this crisis today because in 2008, 2011, I lost so much. And I knew that I needed to take steps to protect myself and my family to be better prepared for this. Yeah. I started moving a lot of my work with my clients to be able to continue to serve them and support them into virtual training classes, into virtual coaching sessions, into being able to offer them a book, a product, information that would have value for them so they can navigate their own life, their family, and their employees. Yeah. And for the people that, because you extrapolate these messages it applies in a corporate environment just as much as it does in a family. Yep. So preparation is key. We have a list of things that you can do, but our focus, as always, is on the emotional preparation. Mm -hmm. If I know I'm not going to be able to see my family, do I have all the pieces that I need? Can I set things up so I can video conference them? Do I have the phone numbers that I need? Do I have my medication sent to my house from my pharmacy? These are the things that we need to do practically to be able to serve ourselves. But all of these are all 
beforehand preparation, internal things. At some point now, we decided that we needed to switch gears. And we talk about there is nothing more empowering in, in a moment of change and crisis than taking initiative, than mm. taking action. Is that number five? By taking, yeah. By taking action now, we're talking about key number five, initiative, mm. because that is the empowering feeling. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to act individually with others to be able to help. So we talk about a lot of those different things. Now, when we're dealing with change, you know, there's, there's a beautiful theory in a book about transitions. And it talks about, the author in that book, William Bridges, talks about change that's thrust upon us and as having a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. But unlike what people think, it's reversed. It starts with an ending because what happened to us right now was an ending of the way that we used to live, an ending of the way that we operated. So even though many of us were begrudging the two-hour commute, the 80 hours a week at work at the office, the missing our families, we were still mourning the loss of that life because it, it ended abruptly without us choosing it right now. So we're dealing with that almost emotionally with the same kind of response that we would to loss and grief. So you experience a lot of that denial, anger, frustration, questioning things. We see people respond in what we call four different modes. And those four modes are typical archetypes, reaction that people have. The first one that we talk about is people getting into the victim mode where Poor me. Why is this happening to me? Why can't my daughter have her prom, her graduation? My daughter is a senior. She could be sitting there moping about this and worrying about this. And she probably has at some point because she's been deprived of that experience. And then another different kind of response is the people that think like a critic. You get into the critic mode and you start criticizing everything. Why is that person doing it that way? Why did they tell me to do this? Why are they locking me up in my house? They're telling me to wear a mask. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> All of us cannot find anything good in that. We get into that anger mode, that, that aggressive mode where we start criticizing everything. So but sometimes all, it manifests. So, Sorry, so this is all, these are all things that we have to move away from and take initiative, initiative out of. Okay? Correct. So we look at that, but it time comes to the point with listening, realizing where you are with that. The third one, it might be more quiet, not as aggressive. We call that the bystander mode, where you're just on the sidelines looking at things, frozen in fear, not willing to act on everything. You're just waiting for somebody else to come save you. But the fourth mode is the navigator mode. It's Mm -hmm. the mode where we find ourselves feeling empowered by, yes, acknowledging our reaction to things. It's not all positive, but what can I do? What can I control? individually? How can I help somebody else? How can I reach out? Who can help me? So those four modes may exist at any given time in each one of us. I may start off being this wonderful navigator because I have some experience in change, but there are points where I get tired. There are points where I become a victim, poor me, or a critic, or a bystander. Mm. And we can go through that. Now, now, now you, you, you mentioned the navigator as... Mm-hmm. Um, part of the initiative phase. Mm-hmm. What are the other two, the, the, sixth, the sixth and the seventh keys that the navigator role uh, pushes out? Yeah, because right now you can change your mindset. Key number six is positive attitude. Okay. Once you unleash that ability to empower yourself to act on things, you can change your mindset. What if there is something positive that I can get out of this? 
-hmm. Yeah, positive mindset doesn't mean you're not acknowledging what's happening around you. There's devastation all around us. But what can I do to change my mindset? We are in a much better place than most people. We look around here. We have breathing room. We have the ability to do that. We're not stuck in, 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 in a poor neighborhood somewhere with 18 people in the same room. We have the ability to act on certain things. Let's capture that. Let's capture that positive attitude and start working towards improvements. And then that manifests itself in key number seven through kindness and our ability to help others. The minute we reach out and we start helping other people, it helps us get out of our head, Dr. Billy. Mm -hmm. We no longer are so worried about ourselves, but now we're reaching out to help others because we acknowledge that other people might be in a worse situation than us. You know, one one of the things I love about your model is how it starts from the inside and then it builds out to a point where you're no longer in the mode of, you know, Jesus take the wheel or something, you know, where you're, you're now finding a way to be in some form of control so that you can navigate, you're getting into the driver's seat. And that's important for, for us emotionally and physically get, you know, creating success. Tell us a little bit more about how you've seen these, you might call them softer skills or strategies, emotional, uh, emotional intelligence, uh, all of these ways of handling the world. How have you seen people apply these to achieve practical outcomes like income and business profitability? You know, a lot of the CEOs you and I talk to fall into the category of not really being able to connect the dots between employee well-being um, or happiness or leadership development and dollars and cents, <laughs> right? Yeah. G- give us a preview of, of how you take this book and the work that you do generally to help people apply it to create success. Well, here's the interesting thing because the applicability is there, like you said. Let's connect the dots for people. Yeah. You look at any one of these keys. Most of them are attributes that we uncover inside ourselves in many ways. We can help enhance them through proper teaching, through coaching, through the ability to bring those things out in people and emphasize them. But even more importantly, recognize and reward the people that are displaying those skills. If I'm an owner of a business, I look for talent within my organization that has these kind of attributes because I recognize how well they'll be able to cope with the ups and downs, with the change efforts that I'm initiating at this point. If they can cope this well with change that's thrust upon them, imagine what they can do with change that they're driving, that they're leading. So you look at a lot of these things. You want people that have that balance, that are able to internally process things in a healthy way, but then also turn around and be team players and be able to reach out to people to be able to do this. So when you talk about that, the ability to cope with change, to drive change, to lead change is a key attribute I'm looking to identify, cultivate, grow within my organization. Every company operates of that. Even if you're on the right track, you're going to get run over, as Will Rogers said. Every company is looking to be able to drive the kind of change that they want to improve performance. Everything that we do with our clients, you, me, all of us that are in this performance sphere, are looking to make change to deal with that. Now, sometimes business, business environments force change upon us. How can we then look at that and make those connections? One of the clients that I've worked with recently, we started off in a situation where they liked some of the information that I was sharing. Some of them participated in an open classroom that I did for for a variety of different people in the industry, in the construction industry. They asked me to come in and join them. 
we went through a process where on the surface, everything looked good. They were growing. They were going through that. The change they were driving is they had that BHAG, that big, hairy, audacious goal yeah. of almost doubling their market share in revenue over the next period of years. Mm. And they were driving towards that. But what they didn't realize is that their people weren't ready for this, for this kind of change. They were a very tight-knit culture, a smaller operation that had a very family-like structure but they didn't have the pieces they needed to reach this new goal mm -hmm. while still losing, not losing their identity. So we helped them over this course of time to build their leadership development, to then grow from there and build the processes, the systems, and the organizational setup that allowed them to do that. Bottom line, even though this sounds nice on the surface, yeah. let me give you a simple bottom line. The regional president of that organization, one of four, was able to sit in a round table with all of his peers and the CEO of the company. Each region, after their bonus, their annual bonus, reported turnover of employees, mm. 10%, 15%, 20%. Not uncommon in a lot of industries. People hang around just to wait for their bonus, and then they, they change careers. He had a smile on his face, looked around them, and said, zero. <laughs> because of the culture that he built, because mm. he was able to engage his talent, because he was able to navigate this process, this change, and be able to harness the power of his people, to be able to really do that. And that's essentially what I do. I help my clients deal with change, either change that they're driving mm -hmm. or change that's thrust upon them to really hit their performance numbers. Yeah. No, this is powerful stuff. You know, as we wrap up, where exactly would you like people to find you, connect with you, um, and learn more about your human capital management solutions and strategies, and also uh, this book, The Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis. Where should people find you online? Thank you. That's a, that, that's a great question. Now, online, uh, my website, www.freshbizsolutions.com. Okay. Uh, being a change agent myself, I'm never happy with a lot of those things. So we're currently in the process of revamping that. We're ready to push out a lot of good information a lot more information about the book and the systems that we're proposing. Mm -hmm. The book has only been out now for maybe a week. So this is one of the first chances we've had to really talk about it. So I'm excited to do that. The book is available through Amazon, both as an ebook, but just uh, I believe two days now as a paperback as well. Demand okay. is high. There might be a bit of back order, so be patient with it. Mm -hmm. People are excited about the topic, but also on LinkedIn. People can reach out to me and they can find me on my LinkedIn profile under Khan Apostolopoulos. And I can provide that. We can share that in the notes as well. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to uh, learning a little bit more about um, your Fresh Biz Solutions. I love, by the way, I love the apple on that front page <laughs> you've got there. That's, that's some cool stuff. Uh, look forward to learning more about your Fresh Biz Solutions. Um, look forward to uh, learning more about this book. Very important and timely book, Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis. Khan, I just want to thank you so much for uh, sharing your wisdom and your international citizen <laughs> soccer perfection wisdom. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. You have a wonderful day, okay? You too. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Profitable Happiness Podcast. For more episodes, visit drpalay.com. And remember... Get happy first and success will follow.